question with this sign poster that you have in the background. Also, also I appreciate all the flexes that you're doing right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst bluff I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. There we go. Now we're playing poker, baby! Oh, shit. Um... I am ready for that fat man to slide his butt down the chimney. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ruminations of Red Room. I'm your host, Kyle, with every kill begins with K. It's the last episode of the year, and uh, I have a very important to ask you guys. So we're going to throw it over to, on my left, we have the paranormal activity himself, the ghost of Ian. Ian, would you rather be cremated or buried after you die? Um, creamy, bro. Gotta go cream. <laughs> um, I want to be, you know, burned to ash as my fellow ancestors were and uh, spread all over the place. Um, like Alaska, maybe. Um, yeah, just Alaska. I, I just loved Alaska so much. I just want to be in the nature as if you, ash form. <laughs> if you died before Mike, would you let Mike take your ashes? Oof. I mean, I would hope he would not um, mistake them for his dip, but mm. sure. I, I, yeah, mm. I would let Michael do that. Well, it is the season of giving, and that's very kind of you. Ian, what have you been up to lately? I am uh, 26 volumes deep into Gantz, uh, so that's rolling away. Rolling away. Um, 26 out of 37, 38, something like that. So I'm almost done with that series. Um, and then uh, I got a couple more that I'm going to start after that, or while I'm waiting for the last two um, omnibuses to come out. Um, but I watched that new Superman movie, or the, not... It came out in 2012, but it was new to me. Uh, Superman versus the Elite. Um, Cal, have you heard of this one? I have not. It. Um, my buddy wanted me to watch it because it shows. Um, it, I guess it's a good example of why Superman doesn't kill. And um, I agree. I agree with him. It, it. It is a very good film to to show why Superman doesn't kill. And um, I guess you just need to watch it to find out why or if you're curious about that um but it is it is a good film it's a good movie um and then i watched uh pinocchio was talk to me about that i really i really want to see film that. that i watched yeah i really want to see it too it was uh yeah it was fantastic um the animation is great. Uh, I'm a humongous big fan of uh, stop motion animation, so um, it cannot get anything less than uh, not a passing grade and for me. I just respect the hell out of um, stop motion um, and the art form. So in that aspect, it was fantastic. Um, it was a 
different take on the Pinocchio story from what I remember. Uh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, and it's a really old movie. Uh, so, yeah, it was good. It was good. I shed a tear at the end. And okay. um... <laughs> thank you, Brendan. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. It was a fantastic watch. Highly suggest, even though I'm uh, kind of a Del Toro hater. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is this your favorite Del Toro film? Uh, I would have to say, yeah. Um, you know what? No. No. Uh, I like Hellboy more. I don't re- regard it as much as this film because it's just not as well made. But I do. I just like the Hellboy movie. Am I thinking of this wrong? Do people like Hellboy 2 more than one? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Or is that just a Blade thing? I think people either like Hellboy 1 or 2. Hellboy 1 or 2? From what I've I heard, remember. a lot of people say Hellboy 1 is shit and Hellboy 2 is shit. So it's a mixed bag. Speaking of people saying that stuff is shit... Um, I saw that abhor-obsessive abhor radio uh, tweeted out that Constantine is a shit film. Um, Brendan, Mr. Fantastic, to my right, what do you think about that? Uh, I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. Uh, so, uh, but hey, man, every, uh, opinions are like um, armpits. Everyone has one. And some of them stink. Fair enough. I just realized that you work for them, so you probably can't say anything bad. Um, <laughs> I, honestly, though, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see that tweet. I will obviously take your word for it. I don't think you, obviously, you wouldn't lie about something like that. But um, see, uh, I'm, uh, I, I, love my, I love my Hobbes family very much. Uh, I'm personally confused <laughs> if it's, if it's, because initially I thought it was Andrew who was running Hobbs Radio, but now I think it's someone named Neil Gray, um, who's a lovely gent across across the pond, eh? Um, and I've I've had a few. Is conf- there a porn star named Neil Gray? What, what was the name again? Neil Gray. N- Neil, Neil Gray. Gray. That's a dude. Um, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Yes, Neil is anyway. typically a, a guy's name. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean it's 2022. It's 2022. It's 2022. Um so I I'm from what I remember Good about year. Constantine, I'm quite interested to hear that. Um from from what I remember, I think I enjoyed the movie. Uh I think it's one of those things that has that Keanu Reeves effect where after 47 Ronin and John Wick everyone's like, oh, wait, Keanu's actually kind of a good actor. And it's like, yeah, he's always been a good actor. People just hate him because he has, like, a very distinct style, look, and sound to him. Um, which, by the way, if you haven't seen 47 Ronin, might be better than John Wick. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> if, if you guys haven't seen 47 hot Ronin, take. It, take. I don't know if that is a hot take, though. Cause like the first, the first forty-seven Ronin. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Actually, I think yeah, I think that's I've a really good it. movie. 
Um, uh, you know, granted, uh, no, no, it's not a bad movie. Granted, it's a good movie, but like, he's, yeah, he's not, not he's not movie. in it obviously as much as as John. he is in John Wick. Um, but I, I, I really, yeah, he's the poster boy for more than yeah. It, it's like it's like but. those those geezer teasers that we've been getting recently with like a uh, Seagal, Bruce Willis, um, Wesley Snipes. You know, he's he's used on the the poster and he's obviously top build, but he's in it for about ten minutes. I, I just think that the yeah. story of 47 Ronin is more intriguing than the story of John Wick. I will give you that. It is definitely more unique mm-hmm. and definitely more interesting. Yeah. Um, that that I will agree with. What have you been up to lately? Uh, so I died last week, uh, obviously, so I wasn't here. Very bummed uh, because... Uh, can I just give a quick like 30 seconds on Silent Night, Deadly Night since I... You can give more than 30 seconds. Well, no time limit. There's go. a few other things I want to talk about, so I don't want to monopolize. But uh, what I appreciate about Silent Night, Deadly Night is, uh, <laughs> is how um, like, uh, like the, the typical slashers focus on the people who are getting slashed. And what I appreciate about Silent Night, Deadly Night is it's more heavily focused on the person who's doing the slashing. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I greatly, there's some, some obvious, you know, uh, flaws with the movie. Um, but it's, uh, it's in, in the whole backstory behind it, where there had already been, uh, two killer Santa movies, but then mothers against movie malevolence or movie violence or something uh they really hit hard on trying to fuck this movie up and they did a good job at it too because the movie was pulled after i think two or three weeks um when i really think that yeah we talked about that. okay yeah um so i really think that a, a film like silent night deadly night could have had a killer pun intended um run in the box office if it was if it was given its full shelf life um we also um on your point about the whole it being more about the slasher i kind of liked that about the movie i brought up the fact that like i really liked how it transitioned into not just from like when the trauma happened as a kid to like being the adult but him going through like that middle Mm -hmm. period of the like like the religious school the catholic or christian or whatever it is and kind of like seeing like how it further enforced like his trauma leading up to when he's an adult um i thought that was cool so, yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but uh, so so what's your rating? Because we'll factor what, it in. Uh, three and a heart. Three and a heart. That's literally what we gave. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we, nice. No, nice. no, wait. Did we give it a three and a half or three? Oh no, we um, gave it a three. Yeah, yeah, three and a heart. So yeah, it stays yeah. three it, and a heart. It's a very <laughs> middle ground. It doesn't reinvent the the subgenre, but it also doesn't really fall into the tropes. I think that slasher films of that time were already falling into um but uh what i have been up to uh if you're watching the video i'm wearing my new york city horror film festival t-shirt um i uh was invited by writer director scott sloan uh i received a personal invitation from him to see malibu horror story um on the big screen with a full audio mix uh, the audio was mixed by the people who did uh, the mix for Conjuring 3, The Devil and Me, or The Devil Inside, whatever it was called. Um, so it was, I, 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 I reviewed it for Hobbs, uh, I think in 2021 for the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, which was remote at the time. 
Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, being able to see it on the big screen bumped my bumped my rating up an entire um, star because just to be able to uh, fully to be fully encapsulated by the complete sound design rather than just listening to it through headphones um, completely sold the story a thousand percent more. Um, I'm wearing my Malibu Horror Story beanie that that Scott gave me, um, and if you're watching the video back there is my signed Malibu horror story poster from Scott. Um, so it was, it was an absolute, it was a, it was a beautiful night. Um, happy Hanukkah. Uh, uh yes. Um, quick question with this signed poster that you have in the background. Also, also I appreciate all the flexes that you're doing right now. Um, <laughs> is the sign poster framed or do you just have that hung up on the wall? Uh, so I got, uh, my mom got, Get your boy, please. Get your boy a frame as well with the signature on that poster. That'd be it, great. It is It is framed. So my mom bought me, uh, oh, I framed. think I talked about it a while ago, three posters, one for Evil Dead, one for The Lighthouse, and one for The Fog. Um, and I didn't want to get just regular frames mm. for it, so I bought magnetic frames. So there's um, a magnetic clamp, uh, black wooden magnetic clamp at the bottom, and then the black clamp there at the top that has the little rope so you can hang it um i like the look of that more personally than um than a uh regular frame although i mean that's Shaun of the dead frame it makes there. it look so like a scroll hey there you go it's my religion um <laughs> on top of that um uh, rather than going into every one of these i'm just going to rattle down the movies that i've watched just one by one um since i had recorded last um take every, your time everything Me everywhere all at 49 once. minutes behind <laughs> go ahead um everything okay. everywhere all at once four and a heart mulholland drive five and a heart bullet train four and a heart hold Skin. on, hold on. Yeah. Mm -mm, we have a stop ready okay we have a stop ready so everything mm -hmm. everywhere all at once four and a heart mm -hmm. why not more uh i so it all kind of came down to the last like 35 minutes where it's that one singular battle between um, Michelle Yeoh and Waymond. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> um, okay, so that final 35 minutes where it's two people versus other, <laughs> other people. Uh, I didn't say who they were fighting. Um, I I appreciate a lot of the the symbolism behind behind that uh that 35 minutes and what they were trying to say and what they were saying. Um I mm -hmm. just wished that it and I think that the whole ending kind of drew itself out a little bit. Um although you know I do like how it cuts between that between um between the the office the IRS office building um the the time where uh Jamie Lee Curtis brings the cop to do what she does to the laundromat and then how it cuts back to the dude with the raccoon um I love when he gets on her shoulders though that is mm -hmm. so fucking cute um I honestly yeah. I I think that I I should have given it a four and a half um it was one of it was incredibly entertaining um i was not expecting any of of what i got there there it just feels like there were there was 
a lot of filler towards the middle half of the movie, I would say. Yeah, it almost seems too much. Like, it's very overwhelming. It was everything, and it was everywhere, and it was all at once. Yes, yeah, exactly. Kyle, right, Ky- Kyle is frowning. <laughs> yeah, you guys don't get a video cast on this one, unfortunately. But, um, Brennan, Mulholland Drive, five out of five. Uh, where does this place among your Lynch films? Because you've given an, another Lynch film a five out of five as well. Does this overtake it, or what? what what's the difference in the fives? Um, so, which I, one do you like more? I think I want to hold off on an official ranking because I, in college, I had watched all or most of David Lynch's films, uh, with the exclusion of Firewalk with Me. Um, but uh, a lot of that was extremely inebriated. And without really a clear head. So uh, I'm considering my viewings of his films now kind of my first official viewings because I don't really remember much of them. Uh, so definitely... You're definitive. Uh, yeah, so at this point, Firewalk With Me is obviously number one. There, It will not change that. Uh, Mulholland Drive, definitely, since I've, uh, I'm three movies in so far, um, Eraserhead is at the very bottom. And I have a feeling it will stay oh, at the bottom because that I fucking hate that movie. Um, really? But Mulholland Drive was just such a fun watch. I mean, it was, it was like, it was, it was everything, and it was everywhere, and it was just all at once. <laughs> I was out of pocket, dude. Not gonna lie. <laughs> that was I out of pocket. Fucking... Um, but I, I will give I will give my full rankings on his films once I uh, once I finish uh, once I finish all of that. Okay. Uh, so where did I end? Bullet train, four and a heart. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll give my uh, list too, Kyle. I know you want to see that. I do actually. Um, Skinnamarink, five and a heart. God damn, that was the most soul crushing movie I have ever fucking seen in my life. Uh. I don't know if anyone saw my tweets about it, but there was a um, a film reviewer, a, a critic from uh, a very uh, uh, held in high regard um, website called Film Inquiry, and the critic who received his screener for Skinnamarink uh, was sharing his screener copy with his thousands of followers on Twitter, and it created a whole fucking shitstorm. I called him out. He called me a piece yeah, of shit. Uh, people, uh, people called me ableist because they said money should not be a um, a factor in whether or not you can watch a movie. But the movie hasn't fucking released yet. And I, I, no offense to someone on this cast, but I fucking hate pirating. Pirating, I think, is the lowest of the low. Again, no offense. It's like people people are saying, you know, it's like it's like stealing bread. Okay, you steal bread. Then next you're gonna go in and steal um some turkey. And then the next day you're gonna go and steal some some cheese. And then what what the fuck is next? It's it adds some it adds up for such for an indie production like that that they, it was made with very little money and thankfully IFC Midnight picked it up for a theatrical release and Shutter picked it up for streaming later in 2023. Um, it just really fucking pissed me. And again, uh, kind of hearkening back to the whole Scream 5 toxic horror fandom thing, this whole Skinnamarink debacle 100% proves that horror fans are the most toxic people out there. Um but I will um, I will leave it at that. Smile, two and a half, no heart. 
Uh, Paranormal Activity, Next of Kin, one and a half. And then um, once we get into Joe Bagos, um, I watched all of his movies, even the two that I hadn't seen previously. So we'll get into that later. Well, uh, speaking of which, since this is the last episode of 2022, I kind of want to go over your maybe uh, favorite pick for horror of the year. If you had to choose one, it's not necessarily, you know, your favorite as far as quality, but maybe the one you like the most um, or maybe the one that kind of surprised you a little bit. Um, And then also uh, your most disappointed or maybe the one you've liked the least of 2022 as far as horror. And I know I'm I'm putting you on the spot with this. If you guys want to pull up a 2022 horror films or anything like that. I got Brendan, I know you've had a little bit more time to think about it since you've been writing articles and stuff on that. But uh, Brendan, I guess we'll just, since you're already uh, on a roll, I guess we'll throw it over to you. What is your uh, 2022 horror pick favorite? One that you uh, just want to mention and then maybe one of your disappointments or uh, ones you didn't really like. Uh so um my on my my list i'm gonna skip my top three because i think that the one that everyone needs to watch and again go go give shutter some love because they're kind of having a hard time right now um so this is number four on my list of 2022 horror films but uh, a wounded fawn i think i talked about that on the krimpus episode um but i that movie yeah, that movie just fucking blew me. You baited us. Yeah, I debated you. Um, and my, I'll say my biggest disappointment, uh, because I was so looking forward to this movie. Um, the film. All the way to ends. What? Yeah, oh, shut up. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, the film that was based on um, Grady Hen- Hendrix's uh, New York Times bestselling novel, My Best Friend's Exorcism. Um, love the the novel is mm. a huge fucking just eighties reference fest, and it's brilliant. It's one of it. I would say it's the best novel he's ever written. Um, his newest one, Final Girls Support Group, was bad, um, but the movie was just so unbelievably dull, and it was not visually appealing. It didn't look like the eighties. Didn't feel like the eighties. The only reason it, it was the eighties was because they explicitly told you. Ian, what are your picks? Let's hear um, So, out of uh, the ones that I've logged, I would say my favorites has to be um, the one of the shorts from the Cabinet of Curiosity, The Viewing. Um, and my most disappointed is not even close. It's, it's, it's by a landslide. Um, it has to be Satan Slades 2. Um, I was very hyped up for that. Um, it being the first um, IMAX film to be in, released in Indonesia, um, and it was pretty bad. Um, yeah, and I think I'm going to go back in my rating and, and lower it because it's. What do you give it? I just didn't like it. I gave it like a two and a half. You're going to lower it to a. I think two. I'm just going to go give it like a two a two. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? Kyle. It's a little bit mainstream, but I'm going to go with X as being the one that I really, really enjoyed this year. Um, It's the first Thai West film I've ever seen, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, and it made me kind of want to go in and explore more of Thai West's filmography. Um, 
I thought it brought back a lot of actors that I haven't seen in a while and introduced people to me like Mia Goth, which I know that she's been in other films prior to this, but um, I think it introduced a whole generation to Mia Goth a little bit more. And Mm -hmm. I think she's a great actress. So um, I think this movie did a lot of good for her career. And I'm actually looking really forward to her new film coming out uh, by Cronenberg. Oh, yes. um, Brandon Cronenberg. What's it called? Yeah. And it looks wacky and it looks really good really good what's it called uh altered innocence i'll look it up you keep going okay and then um my biggest disappointment this year i'm probably gonna have to give it to the texas chainsaw massacre was that this year really infinity yeah, infinity yeah Pro, sorry as in because disappointing or the or the worst I would say disappointing, not the worst, but definitely disappointing because the trailers made it look really cool. And um, I liked the mom that was in the film as her mom. She's like the chicken Silent Hill, I think. And she's in like a lot of other stuff. But I was really like the kills looked awesome. The trailer looked really cool. I was excited for that to get brought back because honestly, aside from the first one, I never really got into any of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I thought this could be like a proper reboot. and. Um, I was just looking forward to it and it just was not serviceable for me and uh, thought it was pretty bad, but uh, definitely my biggest disappointment. And that was this year, right? Yes. Yeah, it was pretty sure. Right. Yeah. It was like the early this year, like the beginning. Yeah. February. Um, but yeah, those would have to be my two picks. If we had one honorable mention. I'll shoot it over to you, Ian. Oh, I would have to give it to uh, one that came out, I believe, in January, uh, The House. It's not full horror, but it is enough, and uh, it's a stop-motion film from, like, uh, I think the UK. Um, three stories. It was very it was very good. Very, very good. What about you, Brendan? Uh, honorable, Mr. Fantastic. Honorable mention for, for most disappointed, right? No, for... Favorite, or for one. Oh, oh, honorable mention for favorite uh, barbarian, hands down. Mm-hmm. Barbarian. barbarian. Mm. Yeah, I think that's number five on my list. So, you know what? I didn't really have an answer to this because, like I've expressed to more Brendan, I I was not a fan of twenty twenty two for horror personally. I actually think it's a pretty bad year but um barbarian was a a surprising highlight Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go with that as my runner-up as well because i actually enjoyed barbarian quite a bit more than i thought i was going to so i think 2022 has been great for cinema so far how so like which ones uh you have movies like the batman Top Gun Maverick. Oh, for cinema in general. Pinocchio, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbarian, I mean. I meant more for horror. Really big hitters. Um, For horror, it's it's been a variety. Yeah. You've had a lot of uh, variety for sure, and a lot of big franchises come back. Uh, Hellraiser, Texas Chainsaw, Halloween. Um, Scream. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is... Scream was not bad. I actually oh, Scream. Scream. Um, I, I think that's... A lot of my problem with 2022 is is the revival of all these big names and just them not really getting the justice they deserve. I think a lot of the smaller stuff, like you know, well, smaller in quotes, but like Barbarian and um, like a first release, stuff. yeah, like, like a first release, new IP, that kind of stuff. I thought that they hit them out of the park, but I don't know. Yeah, with all of these new or all these old franchises coming back in the same year, it didn't feel like an an event. It just no. felt like they were all 
like, oh, cool. When's this next one coming out? Oh, the Hellraiser, the new one's coming out this year too? Cool. Halloween finale, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. Scream Revival, Hellraiser. This should have been Birdemic. like the biggest year in the last 10 years for horror. Birdemic yeah. 3. Yeah. Which is uh, which, which is uh, the lowest on my list for 2022. But. Well, this year we're covering a film uh, that uh, did release in limited theaters, um, but I think most people are probably going to see it on Shudder. If you don't have Shudder, it is a horror streaming service. They're kind of having a rough time, like Brendan said right now. So if you're into horror, um, they actually it's pretty cheap to get a subscription too. So you can yeah. get a lot of good quality horror films, like pretty good library for a really good price. Um, we're not uh, sponsored by Shudder whatsoever, but I think that for the money, they do deliver a lot of good content. And they try their best to deliver uh, like their own exclusive stuff. And I think this is part of that, right? Yes. Yeah. They, they, they do a really good job of, uh, of hitting the, um, the festival circuits for the bigger, uh, the bigger horror festivals. Um, and they, they do a good job at getting, uh, I would say first dibs at a lot of the, uh, these, um, these more independent movies. So yeah, so go check out Shutter if you'd like. If you listen to this podcast, you probably have already heard of it or already subscribed to Shutter. But if you're not, go check it out. Um, we're covering Christmas, Bloody Christmas, capping off 2022 with a Christmas film. We are not against uh, any other holidays, but you know what? They don't really make a lot of horror Hanukkah movies. <laughs> so this film is directed by Joe Begos. Uh, you may know him from his other films, Bliss 2019, VFW also 2019. I own that film and I still have not seen it. Um, and Almost Human Mind's Eye, that kind of stuff. Um, Brendan, we already kind of know your thoughts, so I'm going to throw it over to Ian first. Um, Ian, where did you watch it? And give us your full take on this film as as you will oh and would you add it to your collection full take full, full take. take what do you think of the film? no holds back no hold um so watch it on shutter i've had shutter for like four or five years now um if you're not a horror or if, if you're a horror fan and you don't have shutter what are you doing what are you doing um probably on peacock <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, I would not add this movie to my collection. Uh, this film, so the first fifteen to twenty-five minutes, I thought was extremely boring, and I really hated the forced flirting dialogue. Um, it felt very awkward. I've been through this stage in a relationship or with like another interest, like a like a love interest, and it is, it's not fun for either party i mean you, you kind of like have to act like it is but you both have the intention of this that you both have the same intention so it's it was just kind of like an awkward thing i did not like um up until the kitchen scene where they were talking about scary movies and horror stuff uh because I, I i don't know a lot about um uh, music and like especially metal music or whatever the fuck they were talking about um so i couldn't really relate there but um, it brought me back in after that. Um, I thought it was a pretty fun watch. Um, I wish it went into the killer a little more, and I wish the killer didn't get up so often as it did. 
Um, and it, I wish it stayed dead and maybe a little more story was, um, was put into this film, but, uh, it's fun for what it is. And, um, if I was this director, I would be happy with the, with the final product. And I would be happy that, um, I have this, this film in my filmography. Bryn, we're going to throw it over to you. I love this movie. I love Joe Bagos. I, um, with exception to the, the issues that happened on the set of VFW, which we don't really need to get that much into. Um, I think that he's one of the, uh, most prominent voices in, um, I, I will still say that he's independent, um, in independent horror, uh, Whereas, Ian, you kind of thought that the opening was a little boring. I think that it does a good job at showing um, these these conversations as, like, this pent-up repression of people who are stuck in a small town. They've already peaked, and they're with the people that have already peaked in their friend group, and they know that they are stuck there for their life. Um, And I think that it does a a good job of showing this these small-town relationships that form... Um, that's, that's not a reach. This is a very <laughs> small town. Um, and, uh, and he really leans into it. I think he does, uh, in you know, VFW, the, uh, the dialogue is a little bit more, um, is a little bit more worked out. But again, one of the things that I liked about Bliss is how he can have these conversations between these, I guess, more artistic kind of people. Uh, and I, I really like how he created um, the relationships between, um, Lara, Jay, Tori, and Robbie. Um, I love how they give you just enough information of what you need to know about, um, about the, the killer clause, how he's, a uh, it's military grade construction from a, from a defense, uh, uh, a defense company. And then you get that one other bit of information, uh, where, it says that he that the sand is being recalled because it's defaulting back to its uh its military um settings and i i think that's enough this feels like this feels obviously it's an homage to 80s sci-fi horror movies like um shopping mall and thin obviously terminator um but i think that this film does a really good job at playing into that and fucking chewing it up I watched it on Shutter three times, um, and I had wanted to go see it in theaters, um, but there I just wasn't able to make it into into Manhattan to see it. But I did purchase two tickets um, to it, so at the very least, I was able to give it. I think tickets were twelve bucks a piece, so I was able to give it about twenty five bucks of my money, which I'm more than happy with. And yes, I will when it releases on. Uh, physical media i will definitely buy it you guys both took a negative spin on on the intro which i thought was interesting ian took a more negative spin on the relationship side of it and the interaction between um the interaction between tori and robbie um and i guess you didn't maybe intentionally try to do a negative spin on on them being peaked or whatever but um (laughs) i didn't look at it that way um, I okay, so I saw this on Shutter, and I think I'm going to add this to my collection. Um, I really liked Bliss. I gave it a four and a heart on Letterboxd, and um, I think that based on that and this movie alone, I think I might collect Joe 
Bagos's films. Um, I already have VFW, so if I like that and it like solidifies that I'm that I like his stuff, I think I might just just go after it. Um, so the first 25 minutes before the killing starts was probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, I actually, uh, it was like this weird vibe of like clerks meets like the, okay. So the writing was very witty. It was very authentic and it was very like grounded. I felt like these are two characters that really knew each other and it not just playing as they knew each other. Um, I really feel that the relationship that they had um, is one that a lot of people go through. It's one that I've definitely been in before, kind of like Ian. But unlike his negative spin and the experience that he had, I had a very positive experience kind of chasing that sexual tension and knowing that you guys both like each other, but both having the will to not give into it. Um, I think there's a kind of like a uh, like a fantasy element that to know that it could happen if you wanted to and see how long you guys can go without letting it um it's it's kind of charming and uh i found both of these characters very charming actually and i like them both a lot um i think that the main thing that this film is not going to get um attention for is the performances from these two main casts um i think robbie and uh, Tori specifically did an amazing job. There was not one minute during their transactions and delivery that I thought that they were like actors. Like I believed every thing they gave on screen. And um, if anything, that's what I, I dug most. And my favorite uh, shots of the movie uh, and just scenes in general were uh, when Tori and Robbie were walking down the street after they closed the store and the camera was just behind them and the snow was falling and they were just talking about music. Um, it really brought me back to my previous relationships and like the experiences that I've had and just like had those moments where you're a, a couple of drinks deep, you're a little buzzed and you guys are just vibing the fuck out of <laughs> a each few other. blunts in and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a few joints in a few shots of whiskey down and like you guys have the entire night of he- like ahead of you and it's just conversation and like, I don't know, good vibes. That's what I got from the beginning of that film. And I really dug it. Um, I was very invested in those two characters. Um, Brennan, just, question. Just kind of going off that real quick. Like when they're in the bar together and she's like, and she's, mm. she's kind of like making the case for Robbie to make his move on her. She's like, you know, men, men are afraid mm. of me. Cause I, uh, they're they're afraid of a, a woman who who, I love this who earns money oh, yeah. who uh who can outdrink them who can outfuck them and oh my god dude like mm-hmm. okay so Tori is fucking hot and Robbie is fucking hot and then uh, we'll probably get into it later but just you're right man that whole building up everything I just shows to me not only how good of a writer director Joe Bagos is but how good of an actor these two actors are yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, it's like I said, it's my favorite part of the movie. There, there's one like all the stuff that they said is is something that I feel like I feel like I would be friends with these people. Honestly, I think that's why I meshed with them so hard. Um, there was one line when um, his name, uh, sorry, when Robbie was like talking about the guy that she was supposed to meet, and she's and he's like, well, now you don't have to wake up to thirty seconds to Mars. <laughs> and I thought that was a really really funny line, and. Um, 
Oh, when Tori starts to badmouth bad religion, though, I have a problem with that because bad religion is is really really good. But um, then the horror elements kicked in, and uh, the horror elements was cool. It was a simple premise. It, I, I mean, the Terminator references are obvious. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the gore. Um, oh well, before we begin to that, um, I think I've kind of expressed how I really dig his writing. Do you guys have anything to comment on the writing? Uh, yeah, I do think the writing is actually pretty perfect and, um, the dialogue is almost too real. Uh, that's kind of why I didn't really like it. Uh, I just don't like seeing the game, being, <laughs> that game being played. Um, it just, yeah, it just wasn't uh, appealing to me, but it was very, very authentic and real. And you could tell that the two main actors were like, had chemistry, either they had insane chemistry or they, were they fucking were just that good of actors or they were having sex with each other on set. Oh, and to go, and to go back to Brennan's point about, uh, the small town peak thing. I don't know. I saw it as like people that were just super content and happy. Like, I, I don't know. They owned a record store and she was so into music. Like they're, they're like working their dream jobs almost in a sense, even though it's something so small, like it's something they really, really love. And so like when her friend comes in and like, they're talking about the records and she's like, trust me, she, she's gonna like this one. Like that all came off as like super, super like, like that was them Like they were made to do this. And like, they were just kind of like in the perfect place. You know, I, um, I, I, when when I say peak, I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing. I I kind of mean it more as they found what they're good at, they found what they like, and they just went for it. Yeah. So I I I, I in hindsight, I understand how how peak has does have kind of a negative connotation to it. Do you have anything to comment on the writing? Um. Yeah. I he's just a, a very a very fantastic writer. Um. And uh. Everyone, I think, in this movie does a really good job of like from, you know, from the opening scene or to when Tori gets to um, when Tori's in the police station and uh, and uh, the one cop who's played by um, uh, who's played by fucking uh, Jeremy Gardner props. Um, he's like, uh, what are we going to say to the widow? Oh, my God. What are we going to say to the widow like that? It, it it shows that yeah like he catches yes himself. yeah exactly like there's just so yeah. many small <laughs> moments in this that show that joe bagos is a fantastic writer and he he works with a lot of grounded he, very he grounded works with a lot of the same people sorry i'm no, not trying to uh he um uh desi from from bliss is in this uh from jeremy bliss, gardner from bliss vfw's in this uh matt mercer from bliss vs vfw's in this um uh jeremy gard i think they just all like his writing and they just keep coming back i just think i would kill to be in any one of his movies and um i i just think that uh they realize that he makes movies that are very different but still somehow fall like deep into the genre community um so i i think that people are just team bagos and i'm i'm team bagos all the way So the gore, the horror kicks off. We get a lot of practicals, a lot of uh, a lot of ragdolls, a lot of ragdolls being thrown around. <laughs> yeah, which is cool. I mean, um, but what do you guys think of the kills? Uh, do you guys have a favorite kill? 
Hmm. Yeah. Let me look at the character real quick. So that was Joe Pegos that got sliced in half with the axe, right? No. No. Um, oh, that looked just uh, like Joe Pegos. Is, in, he was the one no, in the Joe house. Beg- right? uh, the guy in the house is Matt Mercer. Um, the oh. No, but the guy that was in front of the car in the snow. When he's like, you hit oh, my yes, car. That's Joe. That, yeah, I thought you meant the him. guy in the toy store. Oh. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, because that looked like him. And I was like, that's cool. When he gets hit, like the axe, and he like slices him in half, the, that was really the, cool. I and the, the bartender is played by Joe Ethier, who is the co-founder of Channel 83, which is Joe Begos's, um film production company. And he's also the editor of this movie and all of Joe's other movies. Nice. What's some other work that they've done? Um, so the five movies that they've done together um, started with Almost Human, and then The Mind's Eye, then Bliss VFW and this. And they're all kind of this same style? Uh, no, oh, so... Um, Even the color No, palettes. so actually... Yeah, we'll get into yeah. that. I, I would love to get into that, actually. <laughs> um, uh, but the yes. kills, you guys have a favorite? Kills. I think mine has to be Robbie. Um, I like the practicals on that. And uh, I wasn't expecting him to die so soon. I looked at the time, and it, there was still like, I don't know, like 36 minutes left, something like that. So it was a very unexpected kill, especially, I mean, I mean, the bond that they created at the beginning of the film, like you kind of want them to survive and, and really, um, <laughs> fuck, yeah, like they, they, they need to after all that fucking awkward ass fucking game talk. Um, yes, they, they needed to, and, and it was just kind of surprising. But um, yeah, that has to be my favorite. How about you, Brian? Uh, I think the, well, it's not my favorite. The, the kill with Robbie does have a lot of emotional weight behind it, and I wasn't expecting to feel as emotional as I was for uh, this 80s homage slasher, but I think that my favorite kill has to be Matt Mercer when he gets the axe in the back. Um, and it kind of like, it kind <laughs> of perfectly juxtaposes what is happening with Tori and Robbie uh, because Matt Mercer gets axed in the back and then he starts to crawl up the stairs and then he gets his head smashed in. And this kind of uh, mm. juxtaposes with when Tori and Robbie are going up the stairs and he's about to give her head. Um, I think that's kind of uh he, I like how uh, he kind of took a different directing style with this. While it's visually similar to VFW and Bliss, um, I like how he kind of did a lot of cutting back and forth between uh, what's happening with specific murders, you know, the toy store or the house next door, and what Tori and Robbie are doing. Um, so I, I really like how how the scene of Matt Mercer getting killed and the scene of Tori and Robbie going upstairs to fuck kind of played out. Speaking of that directing style, that scene in particular mm-hmm. in the house when um, I think it's either before or after that guy gets killed on the staircase, but when uh, Tori runs through the hallway and the camera pushes through the hallway and chases her, that was an awesome shot. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys got that, but it was really, really cool. And uh, the one shot in the beginning of her walking through the snore, uh, <laughs> snore. Snorling snow going on again. Uh, when she was walking through the snow and then into the record shop, it was a really cool one shot as well. But um, cool. As far as Joe Pegos's films, I know you have a little bit more experience than Ian and I. Uh, we've only seen Bliss, as far as I know. But um, what are your, like? Where does this kind of land with like 
your preference of 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 which ones you enjoy without giving too much away with your ratings? Uh, I'm gonna have to put this at. Mm, I, I'm 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 stuck between um, this and VFW. Um, they're both kind of fighting for the second spot, but I think that that uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas would beat out VFW for my second favorite of his. Bliss, obviously, being number one. Yeah. Fair enough. Hmm. Like, okay, so as a Christmas film, Ian, what does this movie do right for you? It's got Santa in it, and it's got snow. That's pretty much it it's uh Brandon, let's throw it over to you <laughs> <laughs> it's not really christmas it's not it doesn't really feel like a christmas movie I agree. um i agree actually it's it's got a lot of snow that just doesn't stick to anything and um it's like super clear that it's not real snow i wish they like filmed it in like minnesota or something that would have been cool, but there's just no snow on the ground, like no authenticity. And I know that like uh, Christmas is everywhere, right? Like it it's not just in the north with snow. Like in Arizona, we never get snow during Christmas. <laughs> it's always like 70 degrees out. Um, but like in a Christmas movie, I want to see Christmas shit, you know? Like I want to relive the life I can't. Go ahead, Kyle. Here's my reach for the year. So what if Joe Bagos made it as little Christmassy as possible because Tori just hated Christmas so much and a Christmas story, and she was over Christmas and wanted it to be done with, her words, not mine. So maybe he wanted to make it as less Christmassy as possible for Tori. That's my reach. Brennan, what does this movie do as a Christmas movie for you? Does it feel Christmassy, or can you just watch it all year round? Well, so as I said in the Krimpus episode, I'm not a big holiday person, uh, not that big on the Christmases um, or the Thanksgivings. Uh, this movie put me in the Christmas spirit. Uh, I am ready for that fat man to slide his butt down the chimney, put some little treatsies under my tree. Um, ask first, ass baby. first. Uh, I, ask, um, ask. I think that this movie does what a christmas movie needs to do you have santa you got snow and you know that it's christmas eve it's a christmas movie it's more of a christmas movie than fucking die hard I agree with that, 100%. <laughs> Whoa. I agree with that 100 right, there's no santa in die hard but that doesn't make it any less of a christmas movie than this so Joe Bagos, I've only seen Bliss in this. <laughs> Bliss in this, I meant to rhyme. But um, he does have a particular style, and this is where my negatives come into play. Because I personally am not a fan of the filter that he uses on the film. Um, I think it kind of, like, I know what he's going for, it kind of detracts from my viewing experience um, when everything has like a green or reddish tint to it. Bliss kind of did the same thing. It looked like it was filmed in hell the whole time, which might have been intentional. But um, I don't know. It just, it, it's kind of weird. And uh, I don't vibe with it that hard. But I do like his directing style. I'm just I, like, I'm not a fan of the filter 
What do you think, Brennan? Uh, well, that, actually, that's one of the things that I love about him. The in, in this movie specifically, it's kind of um, it's kind of like how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the most Tarantino movie. I think that this is the most Joe Begos movie. He's worked from mm. from uh, from Almost Human, which has zero neon in it, to this movie that's full of neon. Um, I. Uh, I love the whole, uh, I'm going to say it again, the whole neon splatterpunk fucking dirt in the knees vibe that that this movie has. Um, And I'm obsessed with his visual style. I love how he incorporates such harsh neon tones into everything. Um, It's a visual thing for me. So, yeah. I think the one time that it played out really well that I really enjoyed uh, visually is when they escape the house and they're trying to run for the car. And the way he fogs up that foresty background and has the light shining through almost like a UFO is landing. It looks Mm -hmm. so cool. Uh, It set the tone very, very well. So I did enjoy that from a visual standpoint. I just, I just think it's, it's beautiful. And it's for me, again, it's for me, it's just so visually appealing that I can't like, during my three viewings, I didn't look down at my phone once. Um, I I, pa- I paused. Actually, I same, and that's and that's yeah, saying something you know, for me because I usually get bored. Um, I paused easy. it a couple times so that I could uh so that I could thirst tweet about uh Robbie and Tori, um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just there's something that I, I feel like it would be easy to throw a few RGBs into a movie to give it some color, but I think that the way that that Joe Begos has from starting with the mind's eye to this movie the way that he's uh evolved his specific visual style um it's just, it, to me it's very artistic and masterful ian throw it over to you i actually just watched or just rewatched suspiria last night um i love a good color palette on a movie i love over um stimuli on on the the bright lights and the and the and the colored lights um it looks great the the movie looks great um what i don't like is the film quality like you can't make your your color palettes look that good and then just see some blurry ass faces like i want some i want some hd quality i i there's a film grain that he puts on his 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 work and it's just yeah it's kind of distracting for me too yeah and i i I, it looks like it would look fantastic but i just want to see that hd quality i want to see a movie that was made in 2022 um well he obviously does it for a reason because he does it on all of his films so he loves it which kudos to that um i mean because this like it's his shit so um I would love to hear Brennan. When you get that interview, please ask him. I'm I'm trying uh, to get that interview. Can we get I'm it? trying. To, he <laughs> liked my tweet, so, but but that's the get him on the cast or something. Get him on the cast. But I would love to hear why he likes the film Grain so much because he does it on the two films that I've seen. Um, I don't know if he does it for everything else. I, I think it. I, yeah, it looks like he poured a, a cup of rice on the camera lens before take, and he's just it. emptied it. And he's like, "Let's roll." I, I think it's just more of, of an homage to 70s and 80s films. Because obviously, you know, he's, uh, I think he's a little older than you, Kyle. Um, he's, he's one year oh, older okay. than me. So, I mean, you guys kind of yeah. both 
grew up watching films from the 70s and 80s, um, horror films from the 70s and 80s. And uh, I think specific things, I mean, this actually just kind of shows specific things from films that I think you both probably enjoy um, just rub off on you different ways. And for him, it was more of that, that gritty visual aesthetic that 70s and 80s films had. Not, 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 not that you don't appreciate those, but no, I know. And then also, I mean, he, he's obviously a huge fan of music and there's very much like a music video influence in a lot of his stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, from the shots, does a lot of Dutch angles, but, um, yeah, he, uh, he obviously has a very like music video, like almost like he, he's an MTV kid mm-hmm. probably, um, and has that influence as well. So yeah, the cinematography is um, great. I love the, I love some of the shots. Yeah, same. It's really good. Do we want to talk about the robot? Is, is there anything else you guys want to mention before we get into final thoughts and review? We're currently sitting at like, where are we at? We're at uh, 56 minutes. Ian? Anything you guys want to talk about? There was, um, I love the, I love the, uh, the ass eating in the toy store. Um, and also yeah. the, that, that was, was fantastic. Um, yeah, that was fantastic. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, the the moment that we all knew was coming uh, was when was when Tori and Robbie or uh, Tori makes the move when they finally embrace and they kind of have that um, smile, laugh, kind of like, eh, yeah, we're doing it. Yeah, Sorry, and they have that uh, almost that like um, uh, David Cronenberg history of violence scene where they're kind of like making their way up the stairs kind of being a little rough with each other um and then i really wanted to see her peg him though because they're they're both just so fucking hot in that that scene when they finally get together she has the mirror over her bed like i think that's one of the because uh, in you know bliss there's a lot of sex a lot of very explicit sex uh none in vfw um but i really um, I really like the way yeah, that he films sex because e- sex. even yeah, even though it's not like the most explicit, it's still very steamy and raw and emotional. And I mean, it almost to an extent in both Bliss and this uh, feels like they are actually kind of fucking each other. Speaking of mirrors, I really like that scene when she's in the back of the cop car and she's leaning against the uh, the mirror and it has the shot of her showing the reflection and her face with the cop kind of like freaking out in the front seat. Mm-hmm. It's a really good shot. Ian, you got anything for me? No, I just really didn't like how much the robot uh, didn't stay down. That felt so annoying to me. There was like 16 minutes left and I'm like... How is this going to keep going on for 16 more minutes? I will say that um, towards the end of the film, it was kind of like, okay, dude, just stay down, bro. He was getting up quite a bit, and it kind of seemed a little length in the tooth, I guess. But, I mean, um, I, Brennan, we're going to throw it over to you. Final thoughts rating for Joe Bago's 2022 film. Uh, love this movie. Love his work. Um, this movie put me in the Christmas spirit more than I think anything ever has and more than anything ever will. Um, not only will this be, uh, I, not only will I be viewing this Christmas Eve in what 11 days, um, 
I will be viewing this film many, many times. Uh, I'm excited for whatever he has, whatever he's going to do next. Um, this movie for me was just nonstop entertainment beginning to end. I love the gore of the chemistry. Um, I just, I, I love the actors in this movie, Herman Munsters in this movie. Uh, so what more can you ask for? Um, I am going to give Joe Bagos's Christmas bloody Christmas. I gave bliss a five and a heart. So I'm going to have to give this a, again, this is going to be more of a biased, um, uh, biased star. So I'm going to give it a four and a half in the big old fat bloody heart. Four and a half and a heart. Very nice. Ian. Um, the writing is fantastic. Um, the acting even better. Um, if it's, if it's not the writing, um, the kills are, uh, interesting. I think, uh, there's a lot of shots, a lot of, um, some, some kills aren't really shown. Some are shot very particularly. Um, and the color palette is fantastic. The, the, um, cinematography really great. Um, I think it's a fun movie for what it is. Uh, I'm going to give it no heart, but a three out of five. Three and no heart. I forgot I had to bring out my calculator. Okay, um, I think the writing is the strongest part of this film. I think he's a great writer, a very grounded writer, and it's believable. Um, I tweeted out um, that this film has the best representation of a drunk kitchen conversation I've ever seen in my life. And um, when they're in that, in that kitchen, um, having those discussions, just drinking and throwing it back, I can't count how many times I've done that with my fiance and uh, almost to a T those exact conversations and that exact vibe and just that exact everything. It, it, it gave me like goosebumps almost how like accurate it was to my own situation. Um, I'm still not, and I mean this in the most non disrespectful way possible. I'm still not a hundred percent sold on his visual style. I want to be, but I'm not. Um, I think his directing style is great. I just, the the whole visual style of his films so far from what I've seen just leaves a little bit to be desired for me personally. Um, but um, I think this film was fun, entertaining. It kept my interest and uh, the performances are great. Uh, I'm going to go with the same on Bliss on this one. I'm going to give this a four with a heart. Four with a heart. Which is way higher than I thought I was going to give this film. Trust me. I thought I was going to give this film at best a three, like no joke. Um, just because not because it's Joe Bagos, but just because it's a fucking Christmas horror movie, which I have not seen very many of it's a no offense to shutter, but shutter <laughs> exclusives have been a little <laughs> me personally. Um, so it had both of those things going against it. It was a shutter exclusive Christmas film. Um, but it was a pleasant surprise and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, uh, that being said, it is a 3.8 average. It is going to round up. It is going to be a four with a heart for Christmas, bloody Christmas. Ian's not very happy with that one. Talk to me. 
I'm just surprised. I'm very surprised. Fair enough. Well, before we get into the greatest game of all time, we're going to plug your ear holes with a message from our overlords at the Ruminations Radio Network. We will be right back after this thick piss break. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, welcome back. It's time for... America's favorite game. Europe likes it a little bit, but what's in the box? The game where my co-host must guess the average rating on Letterboxd based on me reading the description of the film. If they guess within point three of the average rating on Letterboxd, they will be awarded a point. If they guess the decade in which the film was released, they can receive another point. Finally, if they guess the decade correctly, they have the opportunity to get a third point if they are able to guess the exact year the film was released. Gentlemen, are you ready? I have started my engines. I actually like this game, so I, I am ready. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll take it from Ian. In 19th century France, a young man is plagued by nightmares in which he is dragged off to a madhouse. On the journey back from his mother's funeral, he is invited by Marquise. He meets at lunch to spend the night in his castle. Sorry about the broken up sentence. It was a weird punctuation. There he witnesses a blasphemous orgy and a therapeutic funeral. He tries to flee, but is taken to a lunatic asylum where the patients have complete freedom and the staff are locked up behind bars instead. This movie sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, what is it? Um, what are we doing by? Five? <clears throat> Point three. three. Point three. Point three solid. I think we should keep it at point three. I agree with that. Um, and for the record, um, year to date, we're all tied. It's three, three, three. So almost. The tie will be broken, hopefully, after this episode. <sighs> Brendan, I'll let you go first. Uh, two point five. Ooh. You think it's? You think it's a bad movie? You think people don't like? No, I, I think I know what it is, and I think it's a trauma movie. But you think you know not not trauma. Genre, comedy horror. Ooh. Mm, does that change your rating, Brennan? 2.6. 2. 2.6. 3. You guys are both incorrect. It has an Five. average rating of 3.6. Damn. You guys have the opportunity to guess the decade and get a point, but you can only get the second point if you guess the decade correctly because then you'll have the opportunity to guess the year damn brendan oh. threw me off because i was decade? i was gonna go higher i was thinking this was really good um so what what century france is 19th this again 19th which means so, it's the 1800s right hmm not a lot of new movies are made about 19th century I'm france so it's got to be pre-90s 80s, 70s, 60s. They love their 1900 France. Mm. I'm going to say 80s. You said 80s. I'm going to go 70s. 
you guys are both incorrect, 60s. which means that you do not get the chance to get two points. It is the 2005 film Lunacy, directed by Jean Svakmir. His most popular film, which Ian has actually seen, is Alice, 1988. Oh, wow. Which Ian gave a four stars. That sounds, this sounds like a rad yeah. movie. Rad? Ugh. 2005. Alice, that's a uh, really dark... Um... You said it's a horror for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. As I was scrolling through the director on Letterboxd, I saw your ratings. So. Um, are you guys ready for number two? Oh, yeah. I am. This movie still, looks sick. Still zero. And the director's sick. Interesting. <laughs> number two. Oh, and these next two films have the tagline that Letterboxd does before the description? Yeah. So, number two, the tagline, who are these unholy savages who hunt out their victims by sound alone? It's in caps, so I had to say yeah. it that way. In probably first, stop here. In <laughs> 13th century, Perzano, a legion oh, of knights known as the Templar were executed for conducting black magic rituals and committing human sacrifices in a quest for eternal life. 700 years later, they rise from the dead and attack a group of vacationing college students who visit the remains of their abandoned monastery. Genre horror. So I know exactly what this is. Um, pretty mid-ass movie, if you ask me. Can you guys play poker one? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, if I think it's mid, that could be anything. Could be really good. Could be a David Lynch movie. Could be that's a fair um, point. That's a fair really point. shitty movie, and then or no, no, just a David Lynch movie. Um, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. I'll say two point three. 2.3. Great guess. Great guess, Brendan. I'm going to go... I think it's, it's around threes. I'm going to go... I'm just going to go three. I'm going to go three again. It might be higher. 3.2. Ian gets awarded the point. Average rating is sitting at 3.3. Almost got Ooh. it on the dot. You still both have the opportunity to guess the decade. I actually don't know the decade. Um, I forgot. <laughs> That's the worst bluff I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. There we go. Now we're playing poker, baby. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, oh, my since God. Since you think you know what it is, let me... Talking about... Let me, um, I'm going to stick with the 80s. 80s from Brendan, Mr. Fantastic himself. I think it's a, I, I wasn't entirely bluffing. I think it's on the cusp. 80s is a great guess. It's a great guess. I'm going to go 70s. Ian gets awarded the second point. It is in the 70s. Ian gets a chance to get a third point on this question. Guess the year. Give me 1978. Incorrect. It is the 1972 film Tombs of the Blind Dead, directed by Armando de Osorio. His most popular film is Tombs of the Blind Dead, 1972. 
great horror visuals. He has a lot of the like a lot of his covers, like of his films, all look the same. Like they're all like that style. It's mm-hmm. really cool looking. Yeah, and these um these the Blind Dead look re the like Templar guys look really really good in this in this movie. Very cool. I'm glad I picked some good ones. Number three, we have Ian two Brennan zero. Are you gentlemen ready? I'm ready. The tagline: Screams go unheard in space. The ultimate battle against the Amnyville curse begins after the infamous murder house is exorcised from Earth and reappears in outer space in Amnyville in space. 1.3. Is that just what the movie's called? <laughs> Maybe. 1. Point, 1. Point, so this 1. is one two, of the sorry. Amnyville. Don't look anything movies. up. 1.2. That's a good guess. That is a good guess. Anything in space, a horror movie franchise that goes to space usually doesn't do very well. And this is one of the Amityville horror movies. But there's like 13, maybe 20 plus movies of, of this in this franchise. Man. What'd you say, Brendan? Uh, 1.2. 1. 1. 1.2. I'm going to go uh, 1.5. I feel like it's going to be 1.8, though. But I'm... You both are incorrect. In the twos. It is at an average rating of 2.4. Guess the decade. Brennan, you could still tie this Uh, if he gets it incorrect. 2020s. Fuck. Terrible ass guess. No, I'm just going to, I don't know. It could be good. I I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go 90s. I'm going to go 90s. And Brennan, you said what? 2020. It is in the 20s. Brendan gets it correct. If you guess the year, we tie it up. You got two years to work Uh, with. 2021. (laughs) Incorrect. It is 2022. It is the uh, film Anneville in Space. That was the title of the film. Directed by Mark Polonia. His most popular Mm -hmm. film is Hallucinations, the 1986. We also covered his film Noah's Shark. We also covered Noah's shark. Hallucinations is great. I love that. So Ian takes this round for the year. We have Ian at four, Brendan at three, Kyle at three. Mitch at zero. How do you guys feel? Catch up, Mitch. Mitch at zero. Sorry. Mitch at zero. Looks like the Hanukkah gods are looking upon me. This has been another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum, the cum-covered teddy bear of the Ruminations Radio Network. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to follow us on Twitter at of Red Room. That's OF Red Room. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and more, which you can find additional information on at ruminationsofredroom.transistor.fm. And make sure you subscribe and give us a rating so we can show up in more people's feeds and build the ROR army. You can come hang out with us and the army on our Discord, and the link is available in our Twitter bio. Please send us questions you want us to read on cast or suggestions for films. You can do so by sending us a DM on Twitter or emailing us at ruminationsofredrum at gmail.com. That being said, I'm your host, Kyle. And to my right, we have Brendan, the new blood, Mr. (laughs) Hedgehog.
Uh, hell Ratma. I just had to say it one more time. It's the end of the year. I had to say it one more time before you. it was over. Uh, hell Ratma. And Ian, the paranormal activity himself. Tooies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I was waiting. I'm sorry. Um, if uh, ha- happy holidays, everyone, not just Christmas. You know, we got Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, um, whatever else Rosh there Hashan. is. Um, yeah, Rosh Hashan, and then you got uh, that one thing my uh, Nepal buddy at work told me. I forgot what they celebrate, but um, I think it was in uh, October. Uh, but uh, happy holidays, everyone. You think Mike celebrates a holiday? I think he's atheist. Um, I think he takes his kids out to eat Chinese on Christmas Day. Hope everyone had a very safe and healthy 2022. We'll see you in 2023. Stay spooky, folks.